Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches this morning. Blunstown, Shipley, and Mariana Hay. It's so good to have you all for week two of our series entitled, What God is Really Like. And if you missed last week, I would really encourage you to go back and watch or listen on our website. Gavin Adams did a great job sharing with us and kind of helping us reframe our view of what God is like, that God is a father. And if you miss that, you really absolutely need to go back and listen to it. Now, there are two reasons why we think it is important for us to talk about this whole thing of what God is really like. First of all, it's really hard to get life right when you've got God wrong. Don't miss that. It is really hard to get life right when you've got God wrong. In fact, A.W. Tozer said it this way. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How we think about God, it really matters. See, how we think about God, it will determine who we are, what we will become, and how we act. See, it's really tough to get life right when you get God wrong. Now, the second reason it's important for us to have this conversation is this. It's really tough for other people to get God right when we've got God wrong. See, when we get God wrong, what we do is we represent God in the wrong way to the world. And as Gavin said last week, because some of the way that we have represented God to the world, some of us has gotten God wrong. And the reality is people in our communities, they see God as a God who is against them instead of for them. In fact, some of you, you struggle to understand that God loves you. You struggle to understand that God is for you because of how you have seen God represented to you by other people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. So today what we're gonna do is we wanna pick up and wanna continue to answer this question of what God is really like. And we're gonna look at the same passage that Gavin started with last week. So if you have your Bibles and you wanna go to Luke chapter 15, we're gonna start there, but we're gonna look at it from a little bit different angle. Now, to get us kind of started in this conversation, let me just kind of suggest an idea of what God is like by giving you kind of uh, this thought. If you don't know much about me, one of the things that, um, or if you do know much about me, one of the things you might not understand about me is um, that I'm not really a birthday party kind of guy. In fact, I, I know I'm up in front of people every week and, and I'm around a lot of people every week, but actually I prefer really kind of keeping myself out of the center of attention. So here's the thing. Birthday parties aren't how I usually celebrate or like to celebrate my birthdays. In fact, I have always worked really hard to avoid being in public on my birthday, to do my best to avoid any chance of any kind of surprise celebration. In fact, all of our staff have been threatened. If you could lose your job on this one, like don't even think about that. Now, now here's the reality. You might be different. You might want to be one of those people who really like to celebrate your birthday so much so that you take the day off of work so that you can celebrate your birthday so that you have time to put your own party together and throw that celebration, right? So maybe that's where you're at. But here's the thing. No matter what camp you fall in, whether you find yourself when it comes to this parties, whether you don't want to be the center of attention at a party or whether you love to celebrate a party, here's the thing about surprise parties. You're never surprised by why the party happens. You're just surprised about when it happens. In other words, when somebody threw you a surprise birthday party, you didn't think, man, I wonder who they're throwing this for, right? 
And you, you didn't wonder what that was for or who it was for. You knew it was for you, right? And you probably even figured it out. They were going to do it. And so you act as surprised, right? But typically, nobody's surprised of why the party's being thrown. The surprise is when the party happens. Now, here's the thing. In the gospel, Jesus taught that God likes to throw parties. And, and that may be surprising to many of you because most of us, we don't put God and party in the same sentence very often. But it really is what Jesus says that God is like. And we're gonna read about that in just a minute. So just hang in there with me in case you're like, oh, I don't know about God being a party God. But, but here's the thing. The thing that makes God party or God's party so unique is when they happen, and by the way, they happen every single day. Jesus taught that Jesus likes to party every single day, so apparently God's quite the partier. But, but the reality is, the other thing is, is why they happen. Now, here's the thing. Before we get into this whole thing about God being a party God, there's a question that I want you to really stop and think about, and that is this. Why in the world would Jesus make a point to talk about the fact that God likes a great party? I mean, you'd be more likely to think that Jesus would like to talk about the fact that God wants to deal with this thing called sin or death, or maybe even Jesus want to make a point about where Adam and Eve's sons got their wives, that kind of thing, you know, things that some of you are really curious about. But, but here's the thing about parties. Why, why did Jesus focus on that? And here's why. Parties are significant because parties reveal to us what matters the most. In other words, what we celebrate shows what we value. Don't miss that. What we celebrate shows what we value. In fact, I bet this was true for you growing up. There were certain things that your parents, that they celebrated with you, and it sent the message to you that this is really important. For, for some of you, what your parents celebrated was your grades. So every report card day, it was payday. You either got paid for good grades or you paid for your bad grades, right? And I bet for some of you, maybe uh, sports was what your family celebrated. So you got money or you got rewards based on how many hits that you had or how many points that you made or how many tackles that you made or how many guys you knocked out of the game, you know, that kind of thing. Whatever it was that your family celebrated. Maybe for some of you, the thing that your parents valued was hard work. So they would give you money if you did a certain list of chores every week. That was their big thing. But whatever it was, the celebration, it communicated something. It communicated, this is very important. This is valuable. This is significant. Well, I think the reason that Jesus told us that God likes to throw parties is that he knew that there was a lot of confusion about what God was like and what God celebrates. And that wasn't just back then. I think that's still happening today. There's a lot of confusion about what God celebrates. For instance, I think there's a lot of people who believe that God celebrates good people, but he doesn't love bad people, however you define bad people. Or that God loves people who go to church, but he doesn't love people who don't. Some people absolutely believe that. There's other people that believe that God celebrates dog owners, but he doesn't love cat owners. That might be true. I'm still researching that one. But bottom line is, see, there's a lot of confusion 
about who or what God celebrates, which means there's a lot of confusion about who or what God is like, and therefore a lot of confusion about what God values. Now, here's the thing. As Gavin said last week, that's not a new problem. So last week, we started looking at three stories that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15 to a group of religious people to help them understand what God is really like. In all of these three stories, they have the same purpose as we learned last week, but they also have a very similar plot. See, every story communicates that there was something that was lost, there was something that was restored, and then there was a party. So today, as we wrap up this series, I wanna go back to these three stories because there are some very valuable lessons that we can learn about who God is and what he celebrates when we put all three of these stories together. So the first story we find in Luke chapter 15, we're gonna put this on the screen or you can follow along your Bibles. We're gonna start in verse three. So here we go, Luke 15, verse three. It says, then Jesus told them this par parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. So you're a shepherd, that was a common profession back then, and you've got a flock of a hundred sheep. Now, these sheep, you understand, they're your, your livelihood, they how you feed your family, they provide a roof over your head, they pay your bills, they are the only source of your income, which means your top priority is to protect them at all costs. So every morning when you get up or when you wake up, the first thing that you do is you count to make sure that you haven't lost any of your sheep through the night or through the day. But on this particular day, when you count, there are only 99. So you count again, and then you count again. Still only 99. And that's when it hits you. Man, I lost one. So what are you gonna do? Notice what he does. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it and everybody in Jesus' audience is going? Yes, that's exactly what we do. Everybody knows that. It actually happens around here all the time. So what's your point, Jesus? What are you trying to say? Well, his point is this, is every time or whenever you lose something that is valuable, you don't focus on what you still have. You focus on what you've lost. You invest your time, you invest your money, you invest your resources, you inconvenience yourself because you do whatever it takes to find that one lost sheep because it matters to you because it's valuable. It's that valuable. So you're gonna search for it. But then Jesus goes on. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and go, goes home. Now, I don't know about you, but if you grew up in church world like I did, I the pastors used to get this so wrong because they would come out and, and they would tell something that shepherds sometimes would do, but they would put it in here and they go, when he finds it, he would joyfully put it on his shoulders to go home. And then they would look at the crowd and they would say, and you know, shepherd, sheep that would wander away, the shepherd would great or lovingly break that sheep's leg so it wouldn't wander off again. Boy, that's not what God is like. I mean, if you grew up in church world, you probably heard God is a God who breaks your leg if you wander off, right? That's not what it says. When he finds it, it doesn't say anything about breaking his leg. When he finds it, what does he do? He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, I broke my sheep's leg. No, that's not what he does. He says, rejoice with me. 
I have found my lost sheep. In other words, the shepherd throws a party. Why? Because something valuable, this sheep was lost and then it was restored and there is going to be a massive celebration. And then Jesus makes this stunning statement to this crowd of religious people and even non-religious people that he's talking to that shows us what God is really like because of what he values and celebrates. Look at verse seven. He says, I tell you, and I, I can imagine how Jesus was so uh, just straightforward with this statement. He says, I tell you, in the same way, in the same way somebody throws a party here on this earth whenever there's something worth celebrating, he says, I tell you, in the same way, there's going to be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So Jesus says, listen, every time somebody far from God, somebody who's screwed up in their life, lived their own way, rebelled and selfishly done their own thing, whenever they decide to turn around and follow Jesus, all of heaven throws a party. And every time someone who's religious and everybody and someone who's self-righteous and they stop trusting in their own goodness and they begin trusting in God's grace, he says, all of heaven throws a party. Do you know why? Because God celebrates what is significant to him and nothing matters more to heaven than when people who don't have a relationship with God become part of his family. Now, another way to say this is God focuses on people who are lost, not just people who are already found. And you may be sitting there going, uh -huh, I don't know if I really believe that. Jesus goes, okay, let me just tell you another story. Let me tell you another story to help you know what God is really like. Go to verse eight. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Now understand something. This isn't like she's got 10 quarters in her purse. This is something more significant. When a father had a daughter who was promised to a man for marriage, he would give her 10 silver coins and she would tie together, they would make this headband and she would wear this headband around her head and these 10 silver coins would be on her forehead. And the day that she was married, she would give that as a gift to her husband. So that's a pretty valuable thing. But one day she gets up and she looks in the mirror and she realizes, oh, one of the coins is missing. Ladies, that would be like you losing your diamond out of your engagement ring. You, you wouldn't just go, oh, whatever, I just lost a diamond, no big deal. No, no, you go, whoa, everybody stop. We gotta find the stone. Well, this lady does the same thing. Notice what it says. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And everybody in the crowd goes, yep, that's exactly what we'd all do. We would absolutely turn the house upside down to find it. Now, notice this in verse nine. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. She's gonna get everybody together and celebrate because something valuable has been found. Now notice verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, Jesus says, in the same way. Whenever somebody embraces God's grace and begins a relationship with him, God throws a party. God celebrates. That's how much God cares about and values people who are far from him. 
And then Jesus tells us the third story, the one that Gavin focused on last week the most. And it's the story of a father who had two sons, the younger of the two, he rebelled against his father. He basically said to his father, listen, you're as good as dead to me. I don't want a relationship with you anymore. I just want my inheritance. So the father divides what he owns between his two sons. And immediately that younger son, he takes his share, he leaves home and he goes into a distant country. And for the next several months, he lives it up. But about the time all of his money runs out, a famine hits the land and he's left with nothing. Eventually, he gets a job feeding pigs and that's when he decides, okay, it's time for me to go back home and to try to pay my debt back to my dad and work my way back into the family again. So he works up this courage and he heads back home with this plan. But when he is a long way off, that's how Jesus says it. When he's a long way off, his father sees him and he welcomes him back into the family and he throws a party for the entire community to celebrate this lost son being found. There's no guilt, there's no lecture, there's no stipulations, just unconditional love and acceptance. And Jesus says, that's what God is like. Listen. If you're with us today at one of our churches, it doesn't matter how many skeletons you have in your closet. It doesn't matter how much sin is in your life. God still loves you and he accepts you just the way you are. And he's not looking to you to punish you for your rebellion. He wants to restore you into a relationship with him. That is what grace is all about. But you know, last week, as Gavin kind of shared in the story, as great as that is, um, that's not how this story ended. Because as Gavin pointed out, unfortunately, everybody's not celebrating the homecoming of the younger brother, right? Remember, Jesus said the older brother was out in the field. He's working. He's being responsible. He's taking care of his duties. And when he comes in from his work, he sees this celebration. He hears what has happened. And he becomes angry. And he refuses to go in and attend the party. So the father... He goes out, he pleads with him, but the son doesn't get it because in his mind, what he does should determine how much he is loved. But that's not how it works with God. And that's not what God is like. Listen to how the story ends. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. So it's not what you have done. It's about the relationship that I have with you. He says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost relationally and now he is found. So we had to celebrate because that's what's most significant to me. It's not how many rules are followed or how many behaviors are right. What's most significant is my relationship with my son. See, that's the point of the three stories. You celebrate what's significant. So Jesus says, of course God parties whenever sinners come back home because what he values more than anything is having a relationship with people who are far from him. Now here's the thing. If you're with us today and you're not a follower of Jesus or you're trying to figure out where you fall in all of this, I really hope you understand at a whole nother level what God is really like. That you have a father in heaven who loves you deeply and passionately. And he is waiting with open arms to accept you the moment you embrace his grace. But here's the thing. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, 
I think we need to have a little bit of a conversation. See, this truth of what God is like, it really ought to cause all of us to look in the mirror at our, and ask ourselves, are people far from God, are they as significant to me as they are to him? Am I willing to do whatever it takes to help people embrace God's grace for themselves? Make sure you think about that question. Am I willing to do whatever it takes to help them embrace God's grace for themselves? So don't miss this next part of my conversation with you. I think while a lot of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus or consider ourselves Christians, we love the idea of grace in principle. Don't miss what I'm gonna say here. We love the idea of grace in principle. We don't love it quite so much when it becomes personal. Let me give you some examples. For instance, let's say in your story, it's not a younger son. Let's say in your story, it's a cheating husband who betrayed you and left you with bills and kids to pick up all the pieces. But then he repents and he starts getting his life right. He wants to be back in the picture. It's not so easy to extend grace and to choose forgive, to welcome him home with a party, is it? Because see, in our minds, that's a different story than the story of the prodigal son. Or let's say it's not a younger son in your story. It's, it's a parent who left you or, or maybe a parent who abused you as a kid and now they have corrected their life and got on the right track and they wanna come back and ask your forgiveness and wanna be part of your life again. Grace isn't so easy then. Or let's say it's not a younger son in your story, it's, it's a boss, it's a coworker, it's a fellow church member who lies about something and, and it costs you in life, damages your reputation. Now they're saying they found Jesus and, and they're different and they want forgiveness. It's not as easy then, is it? See, we always look at our situations where we need to give grace and we go, that's not the same as the story of the prodigal son, but what, what the story of the prodigal son and the loving father and the elder brother teaches us is that giving grace costs something. See, this idea that grace and forgiveness are free, it's not entirely true. Grace and forgiveness, don't miss this, grace and forgiveness are free to the recipient. Grace and forgiveness are free to the recipient, but it is extremely costly to the giver of grace. See, you might read this story and you think, well, the younger son he just got to come back home and got to be part of the family and he didn't have to do anything. And you're right if you read it that way. If he had to do something, it wouldn't have been grace to begin with. It didn't cost this younger son anything, but that doesn't mean it wasn't costly. It cost the father a lot to give forgiveness and grace. And here's the thing. 
it would have cost the older brother a whole lot to welcome him back and give him grace. But here's what I don't want you to miss today. If you're gonna be the kind of person that is like God, and our God is a party God, a celebrating God. He throws parties for lost people no matter what they've done. He's willing to pay whatever it costs to throw a party for somebody who got lost. If you're going to be the kind of person who celebrates what God celebrates and extends grace the way he does, then there is a price, a high price that you will have to pay to give forgiveness and grace. See, part of being a party God is the cost of forgiveness and grace. The part of being a party church is forgiveness and grace. Being a party Christ follower demands that I'm willing to pay the price of forgiveness and grace. So for those of you who call yourselves followers of Jesus Christ, especially those of you who consider our church, your church home, let me ask you, as Gavin said last week, he said, do you have the heart of the father or do you have the heart of the older brother? And I can go ahead and tell you, the answer to that is, what are you willing to pay? What are you willing to pay in order to celebrate someone who's lost being found. See, is seeing people enter into a relationship with God is God's primary focus and what he values. And then it should be our focus as his followers as well. And you might ask, well, how, how do I do this? Well, I can tell you some simple steps, but it's gonna cost you something. It's gonna take some time. It's gonna take some energy and effort. So what you do is you invest in relationships and, and you invite people into environments where they can experience forgiveness and grace. You invest in relationships all around you by in extending unconditional love and grace and acceptance and forgiveness to the people in your life when it's easy and even when it's not easy. And yep, that's gonna be very, very costly at times, but you do it. You just take the steps when it's appropriate to invite a person into an environment where it's natural for them to have a conversation about who God is and how much God loves them. That, that, that environment, it may be a church service. It may be the small group that you're a part of. It might even be this. It might be inviting them over to your house for dinner. It could be any of those things, but you invest and you invite to say, God, I want you to empower me to help this person experience your grace, to know your forgiveness. And here's the thing. I know this is not easy. And I know that you, you're sitting here, I still, I don't have time. And, and I know it can be intimidating to do that, but can I remind you of something? You have an older brother who did this for you. 
Jesus left the comfort of heaven and he came to this planet and he made the ultimate investing, investment by giving his life on the cross so that we could know that we matter deeply to our heavenly father. And as a recipient of that kind of grace, you got an opportunity to extend that kind of grace to everyone around you, to every person in this church, to every person in your family, to every person in our community, to every person that you work with, to every person you go to school with. So let me just ask you, who has God placed in your life so that you can help lead them to him? And will you make that most significant contribution, that costly contribution to make what is most significant to God most significant to you. Now, here's the thing. As you know, this next week is Easter week. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. So if you're a Christ follower, here's the question that we've just left you with each week to think about as we approach Easter. And that is this, who is far from God, but near to you? In other words, who are the people that you care about, that you work with, that you interact with? Maybe you'll cross paths with this week who don't really realize that God is for them, but God has put them in your life on purpose. You get to represent what God is like to them. And every week, your responsibility and my responsibility is to make sure they know that we are for them and that we, and we, and, and we show them that God is for them. Listen, you, you may not even agree with them on everything, but that doesn't mean that you can't be for someone even if you disagree with them. And so this week, especially, you have an extraordinary opportunity to make sure that they get an invite so they can hear that God is for them. So what we did is we challenged all of you last week and we're challenging you again to extend some invitations. We, we've made this really simple for you. When you, when you came into your uh, campus, you saw that there were some Easter gifts that were sitting on tables. So when you leave today, you'll find these on the tables again. And these gifts are filled with all kinds of incredible treats. And by the way, they have chocolate in them. So do not leave them in a hot car. That would really mess up what's inside them. So, um, now some of you are just tempted at a whole nother level to open it up for yourself, right? So here's the deal. You invite 100 people, you get, no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> um, so there's some invite cards for Easter. There's some invite cards for our uh, Easter jam for our children in Wombaland and Upstreet. That's pre-K and then elementary age. So we want you to grab as many. Somebody asked me last week, can I take 40 or 50 of these? Because I got 40. Absolutely. You can take 100. We just want you to grab as many of these, give them to people you know who don't regularly attend church, take them to work, give them to a neighbor. Listen, hand them to friend and family members. And just say, hey, listen, uh, I'd love for you to come sit with me next week. This is just a simple way for you to show someone that God is for them. So make some invitations this week. And here's why this matters so much. One invitation can lead to someone's transformation. One simple invitation on your part, it can start them down a path on a journey to the transformation in how they see God and how they know God, how they experience God and how they feel about themselves. And as you know, we've seen this happen hundreds of times around here at RCC over the years. So grab some gifts, extend some invitations and make sure, make sure as you leave your campus today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you make the same commitment that our Heavenly Father made, that you're willing to pay whatever cost to forgive and give grace so people can truly see what God is really like.
Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we all love the party. But too often as Christ followers, we haven't been willing to pay the price to have the party as you, our Lord and Savior, were willing to pay in order to have the parties founding of having lost people be found. God, I just pray right now as we move toward the celebration of your death, burial, and resurrection this coming week, that we'll be reminded of the price that you were willing to pay in order to give us forgiveness and extend to us redeeming grace. And God, may we be reminded all this week, that's the cost for you to celebrate. But thank you that you love to celebrate. Thank you that you value us so much that you're willing to pay that price. So I pray that you help every one of us to extend the same kind of grace, the same kind of forgiveness to those that are around us. And may we see lives changed and may we celebrate what you celebrate as a result of the transformation that we get to experience in other people's lives. Thank you for your incredible love. May we love like you love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks everyone. Have a great Sunday. Make sure you're inviting this week. We'll see you next week.